We take uh, at least one to two weeks um, each year to focus on the issue of um, abortion, on the issue of being pro-life. And if you remember, which it wasn't really that long ago, in December, when we had our children's Christmas musical, um, I actually used that as an opportunity because we had so many guests um, to also um, preach a brief message on the issue of pro-life um, using an acronym that some people are familiar with called the SLED acronym. It says in Proverbs 31, verse 8, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is for every single person. Every single person, not just in this nation, but in this world, Lord. So we pray for the people of Ethiopia that they'd receive your word that they'd hear it, they'd repent of their sins, and trust in you. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who continue to face persecution, that you would be with them, Lord, continue to strengthen your church, continue to have them be faithful. We pray for our brothers and sisters across this world facing persecution. Strengthen them as well, Lord. Send your spirit, even now, to fill their hearts, to be faithful to you, Lord. And God, now as we come to this issue, which is such an issue that is dear to your heart, you care about those who can't speak for themselves. So may we be faithful to do so. You care about your truth, Lord, which you have given to us, and your truth is the truth. Help us to receive your truth this morning through your word. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord. Remove any blinders that might be there. Remove the veil so that people can see you and see you clearly. Do this, God, we ask for your namesake. Amen. Abortion is a scourge on our land. And here's what I want to say at the outset. Um, Jesus sets the tone for life. So everything centers on him and everything centers around him. Um, Peter tells us when he's given almost like a, a short sermon, not in Acts 2, which is a longer sermon, but in Acts 3, he's actually um, being pretty straightforward with the Jews, and he tells them that they killed the author of life. Because that's who Jesus is. He is the author of life. So that means the author of life gets to tell us when it's permissible to take life and when it isn't permissible. And even just kind of boil down even further, he tells us what is right, and he tells us what is wrong. And right here, in this passage in Proverbs, we see what God's truth is on this matter. Look back at verse 8, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to speak for those who can't speak 
for themselves. Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. How we feel doesn't matter. Not when it comes to God's truth. We might like certain parts of the Bible, we might not, but our, our responsibility as believers is to submit our heart, our will, our emotions, the entirety of who we are unto God's word. And if there's some part we don't like or some part we don't agree with, then we need to pray for God to change us on that issue. Paul says something similar. We won't look at it, but he's like, and if you don't agree with me on this, then I pray that God will change your heart. He's given biblical truth to us, and that's what we need to pray, that God would change our heart. Help us to see his word the way we're supposed to see it, rightly and accurately. Here's the thing. God made the law. He set the law. He upholds the law. And many people miss this. The law is not based on, on some whim of his. Think about that. It's not like he wasn't like, okay, what, what would be a good law to make concerning marriage? Okay. No, it's not based on some whim. He's not looking to, okay, what would be really challenging to give my children to do? That's not how it works. The law is based on his character. So his laws reflect at the essence, who he is. So the biblical laws we have handed to us, they reflect the very nature and character of God. Don't miss this point. They sometimes are like, well, why do we have these, these different laws that God has handed to us? They, they are based on his nature and character. So when it comes to the issue of any type of sin that we're dealing with, whether it's abortion or a host of other sins, we have a tendency to deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. Satan also can de deceive us. I've met and counseled Christians who defend their sin to me and tell me it's not wrong. You name the sin, I've probably heard someone try to defend it in my office and tell me it's not all sorts of sin. I mean, they're deceived. They are deceived. One, let me say this. Own your sin, or your sin will own you. Okay? Own your sin. There's verses on sex outside of marriage being wrong. People justify it. There's verses on adultery being wrong. People justify it. There's verses on homosexuality being wrong. People justify it. People will justify whatever they want to do. They will do it. So I want to say to each of us, kind of at the outset, that whatever sin we have that God has made clear to us or is trying to make clear, and maybe we're deceiving ourselves or Satan is deceiving us, like we need to own our sin. And, and here's what I mean by that. We need to own it by dealing with it. Repent of it, and we need to do like they did you know, with the idols in the Old Testament. You know what they did with the idols in the Old Testament? They'd, they'd like knock them down. Sometimes they'd crush them. And they'd put them in the... Kidron Brook, you know? Like, they'd completely get rid of them. They'd completely demolish it. I, that's a great illustration, a, a great little picture of what we're supposed to do with our sin. Not just, like, lock it away in a closet or something like that. I mean, would, if someone, like, had an idol in their life, like a physical idol, and they, like, locked it away in a closet, and, like, oh, I've, I've dealt with my idol, like, would you you'd be like, really? Like, really? No, it's in your closet. Come on. 
So when you're dealing with sin in your life, I mean, you've got to com- completely eradicate it and completely get rid of it in your life. Own your sin, deal with it, repent of it. Crush it, smash it, toss it in the Kidron Brook. And here's the thing when it comes to any issue that we're going to study, we have to make a decision. Any biblical topic, anytime we're dealing with theology of any sort, we have to make a decision. Do we care what the world thinks or what Jesus thinks? Even, I'd say, if you want to maybe drill down a little bit further, do you care what your friends think, your co-workers think, or what Jesus thinks? Because at some point in your life, you'll have to make this decision. You really will. And it will be a series of decisions that you have to make over the course of your life. But as, as you are growing, as you, whether you're younger or older, you'll have to face the decision of caring what others think or caring what Jesus thinks. Which is more important to you. Because if you're going to care more about what Jesus thinks, then, then you're going to set yourself against the world. You're going to be on the side of his word, and his word goes against the, the thinking of the world today. It goes against the word of the world. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 2. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Someday, like this world as we know it, Second Peter talks about it, it will be destroyed. It will be made undone. Now, I believe because of Revelation, because of Romans, that this creation that's growing out after being destroyed will be made renew. Okay? I make all things new, he says, but there's a new heaven and a new earth. But I believe it's, it's the heavens and earth we have now renewed to the glory that God wants it. Amen. That's a different sermon for a different time. But the, but the point is the world is passing away along with its desires. In, in this case, the world is really the, the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, the people that aren't on God's side. But notice what it says, whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God abides forever. So where is our heart on any biblical issue? We have to come and study the word and submit to what God says. Especially as new believers, um, when they come, when they get saved, when they're growing in their faith, think back, if some of you can think back that far, um, but think back to when you first got saved. Like you're pretty, probably ignorant, in some areas, probably foolish in some other areas, not very wise in other areas, right? But by God's grace, through people coming alongside you, putting their arm around you, encouraging you, helping you, even rebuking or correcting you, you saw, by God's grace, by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, His truth and His word. And your mind was transformed. Right? Don't forget. Don't forget. Because there is, there is, there's a world of sin. There's sin in the world and there is a world of sin out there and the depths of depravity to which people in this world can fall, it really knows no bounds. And that should be sobering for us and heartbreaking. Take a minute to watch this short clip that I want you to see.
A Hobbs woman has been arrested after leaving her newborn baby in a dumpster on Friday night. We have now received surveillance video of the incident, and we warn you, you might find this footage disturbing. The Hobbs Police Department confirming that 18-year-old Alexis Avila is in custody after admitting to throwing her newborn in this dumpster and then leaving the child there and driving off. In this video, you can see her take a black sack, which we now know had the child inside from her car and then throw it into the open dumpster. Avila has been charged with attempted murder and child abuse. That's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. If you've attended here for any length of time, you know I don't play video clips that often. Sometimes pictures give us what we need to see. And it is very sad. The baby was wrapped in two garbage bags and was in that dumpster for five and a half hours in 30 degree weather. By God's mercy, truly a miracle, that baby survived. Hallelujah. So pray for that baby, please, that God would use that baby. God would save that baby. God would make that baby to be a difference maker for his kingdom. And in God's providence, um, the people who found it um, were, were searching through the trash trying to find useful things that people had thrown away. And they came across the baby. Sadly, that baby spent more time in the dumpster than the mom has spent in jail. This just happened about uh, two weeks ago. And she's still out on bail. Here's the thing, y'all. She's only doing what the world has instructed her regarding the value of life. So while we might want to point the finger at her, we should really point the finger at society at large. Yes, I'm not trying to say she is not to blame. She is quite to blame. But if you think about it, we live in a land where, according to some public opinion, her only mistake was giving birth to the baby and then putting it in the dumpster. If she would have had an abortion the day before, which is allowable in many states up to the point of birth, she would have been fine, right? That is the land that we live in. So friends, um, the finger is pointed at the world. It's also pointed at, at us believers for not doing a great job on standing firm on a host of cultural issues. The church in many ways has failed. Guess what? Let's not let it be true of this church, okay? Be the church that you want your church to be. You might not be able to affect some other church because of the position you're in because God has you at this church. Well, then make your difference here, right? Be strong at this church. But as believers, we're getting tripped up in, in all sorts of areas, Okay, and sometimes I use the term believers, you know, kind of in, in quotes or whatever. But we have, we're getting tripped up, and we're slipping in all sorts of areas. We, we have a pluralism regarding salvation. I, I was actually I was, I was out of town this, this weekend for a short trip and was talking to a gentleman 
um, you know, claims to be a believer. And I mean, very clearly, after a couple of statements he made, very works righteous oriented. It's like Jesus plus works. So we have this pluralism that, you know, I mean, regarding salvation, people believe all sorts of unbiblical things in the church. We have people believing you can be sexually active apart from marriage. That's not a big deal. We have people supportive of the homosexual lifestyle in the church. People in favor of same-sex marriage. People thinking that gender fluidity is okay and normal. People that are pro-choice. Let me just state very clearly, if these describe your position, then you know a very, very different Jesus than the one I know. And guess what? There's only one Jesus. So only one of us is right. Here's what it says. I want you to see it. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6 of Colossians 2. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So here in verse 8, he's telling us, don't, don't be taken captive by these empty philosophies. Like you turn on, you know, the, 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 the TV late at night and there's like these whatever philosophers or, or wise people trying to sell their, their little infomercial book or something about how, you know, you'll have less strife, you'll have less stress, you'll, your, your life will be better. I mean, they're just, it's empty philosophies. Empty words. Human tradition. But notice what he says back in verse 6. Part of how you see that you're not taken captive is that you've received Christ and you're walking in him. What does that result in? Rooted, verse 7, and built up in him. Established in the faith. Okay, rooted, built up, established in the faith. So let's make sure when, when the Bible is clear on an issue... Let's make sure we, we believe it, we trust it, we walk it out, we practice it ourselves. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to guess. And if you're not sure, like let a mature believer come along and help you out. And I think sometimes, like on an issue with the pro-life issue, it, we can be led to inaction if we're not careful. Like, how could I possibly make a difference? How could I possibly help stop the murder of innocent children in America? Like, that's such a, uh, like a behemoth task, like a huge task, that it can deflate people. So then they, you don't try. Here's the thing. You do what you can where you're at. So there's, you know, faithful youth pastors across this land that are teaching the youth in their youth group to remain sexually pure. They're teaching them the value of life. They're teaching them legit theology. Guess what? That's keeping them from driving over to Illinois to get the abortion at the Hopeless Clinic. They're being faithful with the situation and the place that God has planted them. There's faithful pulpits 
across this land, across this, this state, across this county, where they're teaching biblical truths. They're applying it to people's lives so that people know the value of life. There's people that take their, their, their valuable resources, their time, even their, their treasure, and they give to these pro-life organizations. Organizations like Thrive. You know, I don't know the, the entire story, but it was probably about 10 or 15 years ago, you know, Thrive was having a fundraiser banquet. A lot of these organizations do, that makes sense. But like that night, they had like the fundraiser of fundraisers, unbeknownst to them at the time. And normally, they I'm kind of shooting from the hip a little bit, but they probably bring in a couple hundred thousand. That night, they brought in millions. And that took them to a level and allowed them to do things that they had never probably even dreamed possible with the original resources they had. Allowed them to make a difference, not just in St. Louis, but across our state. And not just in our state, but then now they have helped plant other thrives in other states. And not only that, they've helped plant thrives in other nations. All because of hundreds of thousands became, by God's grace, millions. People stepped up and were faithful beyond faithful beyond faithful to give of their resources. I've heard it said many times on different blogs, on different news articles, on podcasts, almost like randomly you'll hear it, and people will say that Missouri, Missouri is the only state where abortions are not occurring. The only state. That's, that's in part to, to you all praying. That's in part to you all giving. That's in part to you all being faithful. And it's in part to organizations like Thrive standing firm. It's in part to our legislature. It's in part to God giving us God-fearing men and women in key positions. And it's completely the work of God. So you use your influence for whatever difference it might make. The state of Texas, at the end of last year, I mean, they made a difference. Those legislatures, they made a difference. They passed the law. You can go read about it if you haven't heard of it. But the legislatures, the governor of Texas, he signed the law. I mean, it usually takes a collective effort to accomplish a big goal. So they passed the law. It was immediately challenged, went very quickly to the Supreme Court. And normally what happens when, the, when a, basically a pro-life law gets passed, what happens? They put like a t at least a temporary injunction against it until it's decided if, it's, if the law is legal, right? Well, the Supreme Court said, we'll take up the case at some point, but we're not going to put in a temporary injunction. So we're going to let the law stand for now. It might get struck down, but we're going to let the law stand for now. That was back in September. So now we've had September, October, November, December, January, part of February. So they've been able to see what was the effect of this law upon abortions in Texas. And just in one month, in 2020, in the, in the state of Texas, there was about 4,300 abortions. In 2021, there was about 2,200. And that has been the trend in Texas the Department um, of Health in Texas just, um, just recently said that the number of abortions in Texas has been reduced by about 60%, dating all the way back 
to September. So Texas was seeing, sadly, 150 babies a day murdered. A 60% reduction uh, means that since the law has passed, 90 babies a day aren't being aborted. Now, as that was going on, you also had the Mississippi pro-life case. Here's the thing. We need to pray for these attorney generals in Texas and Mississippi. I mean, it's their job to defend the laws of their state and to bring the cases before the Supreme Court. And there are some very, very, very uh, bold people standing up for the truth of God, and we need to pray for them. Because in Mississippi, that case has reached the Supreme Court. The arguments are already over. It is very likely what you could say is the biggest case to come before the Supreme Court since Roe versus Wade. 49 years in our Supreme Court, these nine justices have an opportunity to make the right decision. And <clears throat> the way, the, the, from my understanding, uh, the way that the case has been presented, um, they either have to affirm Roe v. Wade or they essentially have to strike down Roe v. Wade. Sometimes, like, the court will take, like, you know, well, here's where it all applies, but in this little section over here, we're going to uphold your little law. Now, the way that the Mississippi Attorney General has presented it and the law was written, it was kind of like, we're going all or nothing. And the pro-life movement, if you've kind of kept your, your beat on the pulse of it, um, and even if you keep your you know, finger on the pulse of the pro-choice movement, the pro-choice people are very, very nervous that Roe v. Wade is about to get struck down. And the pro-life people are, are quite hopeful. So we could very well see Roe v. Wade overturned. I think the decision will likely come around June. May we pray to that end until then. I will say this, just to be clear, we don't put our hope in men or women. We don't put our hope in the court. We don't put our hope in our country. But friends, we can pray God moves those people to do the right thing. And we can set up laws in this land that honor and please him. Yes, it's true. Psalm 20, verse 7, one of the first verses I memorized, says some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So some trust in the stock market, some trust in the strength of our military. That's where their trust is. The highest court of our land has before it the biggest decision to make regarding abortion, at least in decades, if not since Roe v. Wade. May we pray God touches and moves their hearts to make the right decision. Let's ask the question, what would happen if Roe v. Wade was struck down? What does that mean, actually, for abortion in America? What it would mean is that it would be sent back to the states now. So now you would not have a federal law that every single state has to submit unto. It would mean everything would go back to the 50 states to decide for themselves basically how they wanted to regulate abortion. But here's the thing. A number of states have what's called trigger laws in place. Uh, a number of states already have laws in place that basically say, should Roe v. Wade be struck down, then here are our laws for abortion. And a number of states have already outlawed it. Missouri itself has a trigger law in place. It goes immediately into effect. 
If, if that decision comes out and strikes down Roe v. Wade, <clears throat> Missouri, along with other states, have these trigger laws that, that ban almost every single abortion. So in one sense, <clears throat> we would feel like the work would be done, but in another sense, the work would just be beginning. Because now we'd be working at the state level okay, to continue the pro-life movement. So where's the court at on this issue? Well, one, one justice, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, um, she argued that a baby being able to feel pain doesn't mean the unborn baby is actually alive. This is a great reminder that even the most learned people in the world can be very stupid. Sorry, just saying it like it is. The last time I checked, Feeling pain is usually a pretty good indicator that you're alive. At another point, she said, the issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. My question is, like, from her point of view, who cares? Right? Like, who cares about the philosophy or the religion? I thought it was about the science, right? What about our president? Uh, president Joe Biden has said multiple times, dating back um, to at least 2008, uh, that he believes life begins at conception. However, in 2015, he said this, I'm prepared to accept that at the moment of conception, there's human life and being, but I'm not prepared to say that to other God-fearing and non-God-fearing people that have a different view. That was in 2015. Then in September of 2021, when this Texas law was passed, um, it looks like he's changed his stance. And he said, I respect those who believe life begins in the moment of conception. I respect that. Don't agree with, but I respect that. And, and just 11 days ago, the White House press secretary, who's been asked this question numerous times by the same reporter, who's been faithful to keep asking it, God bless his soul, he has asked, what is the president's position on when life begins? What's the president's position? Like, you're the White House press secretary, your job is to speak for him, what's his position? She said, you know the president's position. He believes and a woman's right to choose. Isn't that nice for a little non sequitur? Okay. The reporter kept asking the question, and the press secretary wouldn't answer it. It's really not that hard of a question. And let me just say this, and I know I'm being pretty blunt, and this is one of our more political sermons, and I'm fine with that, and I will continue to be fine with it. But here's the thing. Think of this for a moment. You know, Jesus, we just got done with Christmas not too long ago. Probably feels like a long time ago. Um, but Jesus is born, right? And then the wise men come, and, and they end up visiting Jesus, and they're like, hey, you know, don't go back and, and, and tell Herod, like, what's up, you know? And, and then, and then um, they're told to flee in a dream, so they leave for Egypt, right? And then what happens? Like, Herod finally figures it out, and he's upset. So what does he do? He sends his soldiers to slaughter all the baby boys in Bethlehem, right? You with me? Okay, he was a horrible, wicked man. 
Now, if you tried to overestimate and just say, hey, we'll be really generous, how many baby boys were there in Bethlehem at the time that got slaughtered? If you kind of estimated it on the super high side, it'd probably be around 100, okay? Now, one would be awful, right? Even one, but there's, let's say, 100 at the most. Um, Friends, brothers and sisters, there's over 2,500 abortions a day in the U.S., so 25 times that number gets slaughtered every day in the U.S. And we have a president that's okay with that. And he signs executive orders to aid more abortions both in the U.S. and worldwide. That is wicked. It is wicked. So we're told to follow the science. We're told to follow the science regarding this. When does life begin? Follow the science. Here's the thing. I actually, um, I mean, it's laughable that conservative Christians are often accused of going against the science. You realize that almost every single field of science was established by a believer. I mean, you can look it up. Um, Jay Warner Wallace wrote a really good book recently um, that details some of that person of interest is what it's called. Christians have never been afraid of the sciences. They never have been. Never have been. Think of it like this, and realize this truth. We're not the ones arguing that a girl is a boy. That's not science. We're not the ones arguing that climate change is man-made. That's not science. So, let's look at what the, the science says. Is the science, in one sense, it actually doesn't say anything. Think about it for a moment. Would we ever say, let's look at what the mathematics say? Well, maybe you could use that phrase, but what are we really doing? Hey, what are the mathematicians teaching us? What are the scientists saying? Science is just information that we have to come and look at and make deductions from or inductions with. So, in one sense, science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things. But here's one human development textbook, The Developing Human Clinically Oriented Embryology. This is what the three um, authors state. Human development begins at fertilization, the process during which a male gamete unites with a female gamete to form a single cell called a zygote. This highly specialized totipotent cell marked the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. Another textbook, Before We Are Born, Essentials of Embryology and Birth Defects. It says, Embryology is concerned with the origin and development of a human being from zygote to birth. Well, why aren't people willing to just acknowledge this truth? Why can't the president, something that seems pretty straightforward, because he realizes how much is at stake. And at the end of this book, in a section titled Answers to Clinically Oriented Questions, the authors state, there are different opinions of when an embryo becomes a human being because opinions are often affected by religious and personal views. The scientific answer is that the embryo is a human being from the time of fertilization because of its human chromosomal constitution. The zygote is the beginning of a developing human. I mean, over and over, I mean, it does not take much to find this information. 
And it's not like, oh, these books over here say one thing and these books over here. No, it's, there's a consensus. Uh, one doctor, Dr. Matthews Roth of Harvard Medical School, appeared before a Senate Judiciary Committee. He testified from over 20 different references that he had regarding embryology and other medical textbooks at his disposal. He says, it is incorrect to say that biological data cannot be dis decisive. And he goes on to say it is scientifically correct to say that an individual life begins at conception. On and on we could go. On and on. We won't because of time. We could look at what other religions say. That's what my, my degree was. My, I have a degree, a Bachelor of Arts in, in Religious Studies. So I've studied all the major religions and even some minor religions and religions that most people have never heard of. But you could go through it. All the monotheistic religions clearly show value for life. We can make a strong argument from the Old Testament, a very strong argument from the New Testament, an argument from both. You could make an argument even from the Quran if you wanted to. That really wouldn't benefit us. But the point is, the monotheistic religions are pretty resolute on the value of life and abortion being a sin. You can make probably a pretty strong argument, definitely with Hinduism as well. I have the information here. I won't bore some of you. Same with Buddhism. So if, if, if we want to talk about what religions say, for the most part, they seem to be uh, of one mind. I know sometimes when, when we're hearing about different things like this and, and Texas passing a law and Mississippi passing a law, um, one of the retorts that we can hear sometimes is, is laws don't change hearts. Laws don't change hearts. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thankful we have laws against stealing, yeah. right? Uh, some will say laws just don't change people's hearts about stealing. Therefore, we need to stop trying to pass laws about stealing and work on people's hearts so they're changed and, and don't want to steal. And it's a false dichotomy, okay? So we do want laws against stealing, and then we want to work on people's hearts so that they don't want to steal. But guess what is an incentive to not steal? The law, okay? You think if they said, you know, starting tomorrow, there is, it is not a crime to steal a vehicle. Do you think that theft of vehicles is, is going to go up or down? Yeah. So human depravity 101, people are fallen. They're given to all sorts of sin. They have a bent towards sin. Apart from Christ, they're going to keep sinning and sinning and sinning, and usually grievously. One of the purposes of the law is to restrain sin. I mean, imagine Moses. You know, he's coming down, he's got the Ten Commandments, but he's like, you know, Lord, these Ten Commandments, I mean, they're great and all that. And I, I can take them down and, and deliver them to the people, but, but aren't you concerned about their hearts? You really think a few words on stone tablets are, are going to make much of a difference? Like, before you pass these laws, like, why don't we focus on the heart? Truth be told, the law helps us to see our hearts. It helps us to see how fallen we are. It helps us to see how wicked we are. It helps us to see we can't meet the standard. I can't meet it. You can't meet it. And guess what? The law shows us our need for a Savior. And praise the Lord, we have one. 
the one and only Jesus. He is the Savior. Laws tell us something about a society. Think about that for a moment. And they also, um, the consequences of breaking laws tells us something about a society. Like when we get a parking ticket, we expect a fine. We've broken the law, in return we get punished. But what if the fine for your parking ticket, instead of like 100 bucks, was 1 million? Like, I mean, that would tell you something about the laws of that land. What if it, instead of a fine, it was something else? What if instead of paying a fine, the penalty was having your hand cut off? That would tell you something about the laws of that land, right? There are countries where if you do certain things, guess what? Your hand gets cut off. That tells you something about those countries. The reverse is true. So you can have super hard penalties. You can go the opposite way. You know, what, what if you could murder someone and just pay a $100 fine? I mean, you think murder would go up? Yeah. Not that big a deal. So we want laws that reflect God's character. I, I don't want to live in a godless society. Do you want to live in a godless society? I don't want to live in a lawless society. Do you want to live in a lawless society? No. So it is true in one sense, you cannot legislate morality. But here's the thing. Laws are moral. So, in another sense, you can legislate morality. You can't require, uh, you can't force people to follow those laws. But you can put punishments and things in place when they break them. I mean, the Ten Commandments themselves, I mean, they're showing us what morality is and what it isn't. Here's the thing. I want to say a few things in wrapping up. One, it's, it's very, very likely anyone here in this um, has either maybe had an abortion or encouraged someone to have an abortion or, or played some role in that. And there is forgiveness through Jesus for, for participating in that. Uh, the blood of, of Jesus can cover any sin. You come to him, you seek forgiveness, you repent. God offers forgiveness. It is a sweet thing. He also offers healing. One of the things that I love about Thrive is they're not just about, you know, stamping out abortion, which is, which is good. But, I mean, the resources they have for moms when they decide to keep their baby, I mean, it's not just until they're born. I mean, it's, you know, they help moms all the way. It's very impressive. They have um, counseling for ladies that have had abortions and then have to deal with the, the, the trauma, the guilt of that decision. So there are resources that we can connect you with if that applies and, and you need help. The world, when you think about it, um, the world says, your life for mine. That's the pro-choice position. And then people are like, well, I mean, think of what she'll have to sacrifice. Think of what she'll, yeah, yeah, think of it. Like, she will sacrifice her own child so that she can be free of that child and not have obligation towards that child. That's what she sacrifices, her own child. So the world says, your life for mine. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life says, my life for yours. Jesus laid down his life 
for us. He laid down the perfect life for all of us sinners to redeem a people for his own. The Christian life, we want to be like Jesus, we want to walk, walk like him, we want to walk after him. The Christian life says, my life for yours. If that's true, we must live that way. And let me just say, for some of you here, hearing some of the different exhortations I've, I've given, you need to stop saying, no, I can't. You're like, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. That's a lie. Look, by God's grace and his spirit, you can walk with him. You can walk after him. You can follow what God calls us to do. You can submit your heart unto his word. So stop saying, no, I can't. By God's grace and his spirit, yes, you can. Yes, you can. God has, has done more abundantly more than we can ever think or ask or dream of. We are just scratching the surface on some of the truths of Scripture. That, that's not a, a, a reflection on God. That's, that's a reflection on us. Like, we are limited in our understanding. I'm looking forward to spending an eternity getting to know God better and better. It will be a beautiful, beautiful thing to experience. I look forward to, to you all being there with me. We'll be able to serve God. We'll be able to worship God. We'll be able to get to know him. We'll see him face to face. This world is passing away, friends, but God himself, he is not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. And you, each one of us, we have a soul, all right? That soul is going to last past this mortal body. It's going to last forever. It's going to last in one of two places. With the Father forever, in eternity, or in hell, apart from Christ forever. That's the decision that you have to make. I implore you today, man, we can, we can know all the right things, but we have to have Christ as our Savior. And that's the hope that we offer to that dying world. That's the hope we offer to that lady, that lady throwing her baby in the dumpster. She needs Christ. And we ought to pray for her. We ought to be horrified by what she did, but we ought to pray for her. I have many times. It is heartbreaking. I've, had to, I've watched that a few times. But those are the people that Christ came to die for. And let's be honest. And such were some of us. We need Christ just as much as they do. Let us make sure we're applying the gospel daily to ourselves first. That puts us in a much better position to share that gospel with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you are the rock on which we stand, and all other ground is truly sinking sand. Thank you that you are faithful when we are not. Thank you that you are with us, Lord, every single step of the way. 
Lord, and I pray for anyone here that's had an abortion or been party to it, God, that you'd bring forgiveness and repentance and healing to them. Let them know the sweetness of your mercy. Lord, your, your mercy and your grace, it is such a sweet thing to experience. And may they experience it now through your son. And Father, may we be a people that are fast about your truth, standing for it, being examples unto others, laying down, Lord, our, our life to walk truly with you. So I ask you to continue your ways in us, Lord. We do pray for the Supreme Court to strike down Roe v. Wade. Please, Lord, we ask to change the hearts of those justices, change the heart of the court that for 49 years has seen 60 million babies aborted in this land. Forgive this land, Father. Forgive us. We ask that you would stop this scourge on our land. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, that your, your word is true, your law is true. It reflects who you are. It reflects your character. May we be convicted of our sin, Father, and come to you. May we be convicted of our sin, Lord, and ask for Jesus to intercede for us, the author of life. Be glorified now, Lord, in our midst, as you have been. May you continue to be so for your glory. Amen.